Well, welcome to the second Sunday in Advent, and it's great to be here with all these lovely Christmas decorations, right? All around us, out in the lobby, foyer. I want to thank all the tapestry ladies for their work, the really hard work in making our church look like Christmas. And of course, they had a wonderful event yesterday. I know many of you ladies were there. The gospel was clear. The uh, food was good. I got some leftovers. And uh, just being together seemed like a great time. I want to also uh, thank you, my wife and I, BJ, appreciate your thoughts and prayers because when I was here a few weekends ago, I was telling you that we were on our way to South Carolina for her mother's memorial service before Thanksgiving. And it was good to get away and be with the family, her dad especially, and uh, it was a good week away. But it's really great to be back at home with you. So, let me ask you a question. I want you to take a moment and identify one of your biggest fears. Don't say it out loud. One of the big ones. Now, imagine that God says to you, I will give you a sign that I will take care of that fear and just make it go away. In fact, I will even let you choose whatever sign you want, and you'll get it. That'd be pretty good, huh? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that change your fear? Don't you think your behavior, your attitude, whatever is weighing in on you would start to dissipate and you'd breathe a sigh of relief and say, wow, God, thank you. Well, today's story from the book of Isaiah is one that speaks to us about that kind of fear and that kind of sign because that actually happened in Isaiah's day. Uh, we're going to look at it in a moment, but like many stories in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, I've got to give you a little background and context before we go there. So, first of all, I want to tell you that there are four characters that we're going to look at in this story. And for some of us, the names are new and unfamiliar, maybe even hard to pronounce. So, here's the setting. Um, by this time in Israel's history, it has broken apart into two nations, in the north called Israel and the south called Judah. So the name of the king of Judah is Ahaz, not Ahab, that's another guy, this is Ahaz. Secondly, the king of the northern tribes, which is sometimes called Ephraim because that's the largest of the ten tribes, his name is Pekah. Third, there's a country that sits north of Israel. And that country is today Syria. Some of your Bible translations will say Syria. But the word that was used in Isaiah's day was Aram. And the king there is called Rezin. Rezin. And then, of course, 
There's Isaiah the prophet. You've heard about him. You know him. We have a book in our Bible with his name on it. Okay? So, four characters. Now, a little historical context, because uh, at this time in ancient history, this is about 700 years before Jesus came, the major world empire was Assyria. Modern-day Iraq sits there today. So that's, if you want to place it in where you see maps on the news, Assyria. They were the world power, and like many world powers that were imperialistic, they wanted to gobble up other little nations around them so that their borders could increase, their tax revenues could grow, their reputation could increase. So Assyria wanted to go further south. Eventually, they get to Egypt. But what's in the way? Syria, Aram, Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. Now, if you want to take a quick and close look at what I've been talking about then, in the north, Aram, Syria, modern-day Syria, Damascus, and then Israel, the ten northern tribes, and then below it, Judah, where the temple is, where Jerusalem is, where the heart of God's people are. And the king in the line of David is going to be addressed. So if I were to give you a quiz, and I won't. So what's the name of that guy? The king of Judah, Ahaz. Okay. So the background here is that the two northern nations know what's happening with their northern neighbor, Assyria, and they don't want to be a part of that bigger empire. So they have formed a coalition to resist invasion. And they would really love Judah to be a part of that three-nation confederacy, but Judah, Ahaz, doesn't want any parts of it. You might think, huh, well, why not? Well, if you were to go to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 16, if you know your Bibles, the book of Kings is more of a historical record of this time period. It tells us that Ahaz has already contacted the king of Assyria and said, don't invade my country, I want to be a part of your empire, and here is some money as a down payment on it. Please protect me from my neighbors to the south, Egypt, and the two guys to my north who are trying to bully me. Now, does that sound a little complicated? <laughs> no more so than what we're listening every day about impeachment hearings, right? Or perhaps the current situation in the world or the Middle East with the world empires and what's going on. You see, nothing changes, really. Nothing does. Okay, so with all that background, I'd like to read to you Isaiah chapter 7 and the first 14 verses. If you're looking in your Bible, you'll see that the story goes further. We're stopping at verse 14. If you're looking on your church bulletin, we couldn't squeeze all 14 verses on, so the first two are not there, but they explain the background of what I just said. 
It picks up at verse 3. All right, I read now verse 1. And I, by the way, when I read this, I'm going to explain as I go because, again, it's rather cumbersome when you see so many names and things going on. So here we go. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. That's Judah. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David, Judah, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sheir Yashub, to meet Ahaz at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, and say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim too will be shattered as a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, their capital city, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's the word of the Lord for us today. A complicated story? Yeah, but not so. There's a man who represents the kingdom of God on earth, Ahaz. And he's tempted to put his hope and his trust in the nations around him. In military warfare to keep his country alive. 
And the prophet of God, representing the grace of God, comes and says, don't do it. Don't do it. And he says, listen, those two guys that you're afraid of to the north, that's just smoke, not fire. And within 65 years, there'll be no countries at all. Go ahead, ask God to confirm your faith, any sign you want. I will not put God to the test. Can you hear the hypocrisy dripping from this man who has already made an alliance with the major empire Assyria? Oh, give me a break, Isaiah says. Don't give me that religious gobbledygook. God is giving you a blank check. He wants you to trust him. So if you won't ask him for a sign, he will graciously give you one. And what kind of sign was it? Now, think about if you were Ahaz, might rules. He's afraid of an invasion, but he's trusting in Assyria to protect him as their vassal nation. And so here's the sign God gives. Could it have been nuclear arms? You've seen nothing, Ahaz. Well, no, nothing like that. A new army that will be raised to resist every other army. Chariots with new technology. No. A baby? Ahaz is probably saying, give me a break. What? A baby's going to be born from a virgin? How is that a sign? What are you talking about, Isaiah? And the name of the little boy gives it all away. You know it. We sing it. Emmanuel. In Hebrew, God with us. Now, you see how kind of odd or strange this must have sounded to Ahaz's ears? But behind the name, behind the concept of God with us, is this. In the Torah, in the Old Testament law, God said, when I make my people Israel and when I give them a king, that king will be my son and I will protect him and I will protect his people. Yes, you can have an army, but your real army is the army of the Lord of hosts, the angelic army. Trust me, don't trust in your gold, your silver, or your standing armies. Why? Because I am the sovereign God. I am the omnipotent God. All I have to do is just snap my fingers and the army will be destroyed. And I am not just powerful and sovereign, but loving I love my people. That's why he calls them to love the Lord your God with all your heart because he redeemed them out of Egypt. He wants them to be his people that reflect his glory to all the nations, a light to the nations. That's all embedded in 
the birth of a little baby boy that is to be the silent reminder that God is with them. Now, you know where we're going with this, don't you? Because the call to faith is the same call that we have today from God, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. In the Old Testament, it was general. Now that Jesus has come, it's specific. He calls all people to himself. And he was the one that this promise pointed to. How do we know this? Because in Matthew chapter 1, after explaining this heightened miracle of a virgin birth, that's not the way it happens biologically. No, but that's the way it happens theologically. Matthew says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and he quotes Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew puts in Greek what the Hebrew word means, God with us. The sign of the virgin birth is fulfilled at Christmas. God with us. Here's the miracle. I can describe it. I can't understand it. We can celebrate it. We can proclaim it. And we embrace it. But somehow the Bible says that the God who is one but three determined from all eternity someday to rescue his creation by becoming one of them. And he took on humanity. One of three, the Son, took on the frail human creation that he himself created, lived a perfect life, suffered and died a death that was not his own, was resurrected to bring new creation about what Adam never did. And, as we just sang, will return someday to bring it in toto to planet Earth and the universe. And it all started with this promise to a king who was so flippant and couldn't care less about this prophet and his prophecy and the sign of a virgin. And God said, in my grace, I'm going to give it anyway. And what's even more beautiful is that if you look at Matthew, the way he starts his gospel and the way he ends his gospel, Emmanuel is still there because Jesus' last words were, go and make disciples of all the nations. Show people how to follow me, and surely I am with you, Emmanuel. I am with you forever until I return and forevermore. That's what Christmas means. 
It's a call to faith in God with us. So let me ask you, when I started a few minutes ago and I said, name a fear, what, what came into your mind? Or maybe I should say, how many things came into your mind? What does it really mean that God is with us? And, you know, when I was thinking about this and think, you know, what am I afraid of? What do people I know that I talk to, what kind of fears are there? I kind of thought about three categories. Maybe, maybe this is true with you. I thought about failing health. You know, what do you do when you get sick? Well, you say, oh no, I've got a cold. So there's a week where I'm going to be blowing my nose and taking cough medicine, but eventually it'll get better. I've got the flu. Oh, I've got this. I got that. Now I can't go to work and I'm in bed and I got a fever, but eventually I'll get better. I broke my wrist. Oh, I've got to get a cast, but it'll heal and eventually I'll get better. So what happens when you say that and you don't say, and I will get better? The fears come. Maybe they've come before because you've heard about a friend, maybe your age, who has something that won't get better. And how do you handle those fears? Well, the... the, the, The message of Christmas is that, yes, one day it won't get better. There's no such thing as eternal life in these bodies. But God is with us. God is with us? Yes, He's a powerful God, which means that He could and He might heal you In the middle of that, we pray for that. The elders at times will pray and anoint someone the way the Bible says, calling on the Lord to do a special miracle. And we've seen that happen. Not every time. Why? Because God is not just loving, but he is also sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. It's almost silly to say that, right? Of course, a God can do whatever God wants to do. But God doesn't do it willy-nilly. He does it for his glory and our good. So when those two clash, that's when fear really grips, doesn't it? But God, I've prayed and I'm hoping. But God is with me. Can you say that? Can you say it through tears? Can you say it with joy? I don't mean laughter, superficiality. I'm talking about real peace that you can feel and that other people can see and that comes out when somebody asks you, how are you doing? Jesus is with his people even when we're in pain. 
even when you don't think he's with you. Even when it seems like Jesus is asleep and he's with you. He's in the boat, but he's asleep. And the storm is about to capsize the ship. And even when we say, and it's okay to say it, Lord, you don't care. And he's there. He is with us. We don't say health is with us. I don't know what the Hebrew would be for that. We say, Emmanuel, he, God, is with us. And then I was thinking about financial security. Why do we get up in the morning? Most of us, right? Tomorrow, not today, maybe, but who knows? Maybe today. You're certainly thinking about it today, especially as I mention it now. And if you have a job, then you're hoping you keep the job, assuming you like it, or you don't have another one you're going to, right? And you're interested that you are treated right there, but that means that you receive compensation so that you can pay your bills and maybe invest for the future and all of that world that swirls around us. It's, in the world, it's called the economy, right? It's the market, it's wages, it's laws that protect people, and it's what makes the world go around. And as Christians, sometimes instead of saying, Emmanuel, God is with us, we say, our hope is Money is with us. All it takes is a stock market crash or perhaps an emergency in your wallet or checkbook or investments that you weren't counting on, and you say, what does this mean? Another job? A home equity loan? Uh, asking family to help cover me for a while, uh, and the fear starts to come. And you know what that weight is like, because when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's one of the first things that you think about. And when you wake up in the morning, you carry that throughout the day, hoping that maybe you'll be distracted enough by music or your job or food or conversation but then it just keeps coming back. Do we really believe that Jesus is with us when we don't think we have enough stuff? Well, he's powerful enough, right? I mean, he made the world. I mean, can't, couldn't he just, you know, pop a million into my account? Yeah, he could. I don't think I ever heard of that being done. The elders will not pray for you for that. But he could, sure. But he's also loving enough to know, like the book of Proverbs says, that if you have too much, you'll be tempted to be self-sufficient and forget about God. 
But if you don't have enough, you're going to get desperate and fearful. And so the prayer of person in Proverbs is, Lord, just give me enough. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek first God and his kingdom, and everything else will be added to you. It's not an either or, it's a both and, but it's a priority of Emmanuel, God first, not money is with us. I've got one more. I'm trying to think through my own fears, and you know, there's something about friends and relationships and people that sometimes that kind of pain hurts worse than the bodily ache or the financial debt, doesn't it? Because if you know that you're at odds with a longtime friend or maybe a new what you thought was friend, maybe something they said to you, maybe, this is even worse, you hear from somebody else what they think of you or you read it on social media or anything like that. It's, oh, you know, we, we grow up with it, right? Peer pressure. We want to be accepted by everybody. And when we don't, we either do something nice to get that back, or we then start over with somebody else. What? Oh, boy. So, of course, as Christians, many times we say, life is good because friends are with us. I don't need a sign, Emmanuel. Yeah, I know Jesus is with us, but, you know, i got to have all my friends in the right way, feeling the right way, um, saying the right things, and, and I'm good. Well, when all is said and done, at the end of our lives, at the end of our days, you will not be... Worshiping the God, health is with us when you're slowly fading. And when you're at your end, you will not say, ah, oh, but my accounts, yes, the return was decent. In fact, you know, some of those investments are going to provide and then you're going to slip away without them? Right? Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. We will take nothing out of this world. Reality check. And friends, you will lose friends. We will be alone. And for a Christian, we are never ever alone, because Jesus is with us. He is the God who is as powerful as anything you can imagine. And he is the God who is more loving than you can ever imagine. And if you can't be overwhelmed, or at least feel a little bit of that now and at Christmas, Maybe you need to look in faith to Emmanuel, 
for the very first time. Do it now. Our Advent reading this morning. Thank you, Lori. Reflects this. Let me just read a few verses from Luke 1 about Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. What's her response? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Faith overcomes fear because God is with us. Oh, Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus, our true consolation. May your presence, may his peace and love fill our hearts and overflow our lives because you made the first sign in Isaiah's day that a virgin will bear a child and his name will be called God with us. Amen.